that's just ways that I've learned to overcome, you know, and just engaging with the principles that we know that are real and true and right and learning to overcome and be an overcomer, you know. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Well, hello, Healing Trauma Mamas. Welcome back to the podcast. I know we had a little bit of an unexpected reprieve through there. I had a few things going on that I just didn't have time to get um, some recordings done. I've got a lot of people lined up uh, wanting to come on the podcast and and share um, about their healing journey, but um, just had a few things come up unexpectedly, um, finished up school and was able to set for the NARM and now a CPM and where can I get my practice started? So uh, just didn't have some time in there to get some recordings done. So I'm thankful to be back on the podcast and uh, sharing some great stories with you all. And with that being said, I, I'd love to welcome Carol onto the podcast today. Hi, Carol. Hi. Hi. Congratulations for getting your norm. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's this big buildup, you know, for three years and then then you pass it and then it's like, okay, wait, now what do I do? <laughs> uh, just one of those you, moments. You you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, hurry up and wait in my state. So now, now I'm waiting on licensing, you know? Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Getting everything prepared, but it, it's good. It's good to have a moment to, to kind of, to kind of wait. And then the real work will begin. Uh, so I, um, obviously you're very familiar with birth work because Carol's also a midwife and would you mind sharing with the listeners just a, a little bit, uh, about yourself? Not at all. No, I, uh, I, uh, I felt like for a while there, I was specializing in, uh, trauma, not just birth trauma, but trauma. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, so I just feel like for me, it's become kind of a stepping stone for me because I had to learn to overcome so much of it as a child and also as an adult and then, of course, as a midwife. And um, so, you know, I've just had a lot of craziness. I might go over some of it briefly um, just so you can get a good idea or an idea of what sort of things I've had to to learn to negotiate in my life. But um, yeah, I re- I remember there's a whole bunch of my my um anything below age 14, I believe I've forgotten most of it. And I think there's there was quite a bit of trauma in my younger years and I some of it I didn't find out until later. And I remember when I was 17, I was talking to my mom and I said, "Um, mom, I had this really lucid thought." I said I felt like I was in a crib and somebody threw a child underneath my crib. And my mom said, that happened, Carol, you were about six months old and your dad threw your brother underneath your crib. Mm. And so I was just uh, reminded of that thinking about trauma, childhood trauma and trauma in general, you know, that kind of was something that came back to my memory that many years later, you know, and and uh, she said, I can't believe you remembered that. But it was like this weird, lucid memory. And I just ran it past her. And she said, that really did happen. So mm-hmm. 
anyway, I had a lot of stuff I had to overcome as a child. My mom, as strong as she was, uh, in some ways, she was really having a hard time having two children and not having a husband because they separated when I was 14 months old. And so she used to put me in many placements and I'd end up going to, you know, like, in fact, at one point I was in an orphanage in the church, the Catholic church that we were in. And I remember the nuns teaching how to brush my teeth and wash my hands properly and everything. But while I was there, I was about four years old and I was satanically ritually abused mm-hmm. and made to do things that were completely um, unutterable, basically. And and uh, and that that really set a trajectory for me on a spiritual level. Because once the enemy has you like that, he does not like to let you go. So Mm -hmm. that was something I had to learn to negotiate throughout my entire life. Up until the time I got saved and even after that for a while, until I went through some deliverance because I was being demonized. And so Mm -hmm. those, you know, that kind of is a, was a long journey. And then I remember uh, my mom, you know, she put me in psychiatric hospitals and juvenile hall and um, just crazy stuff. And, and probably one of my most vivid memories is my mom rejecting me, telling me that she was going to bring me home. And I got, I got arrested during the Watts riots. And I don't know if anybody um, remembers back then, but um, I was the only white girl in the entire unit in juvenile hall, except for one other girl that was a a woman that was six, a young woman that was six feet tall and she was white and she and I were the only um, white folks there. And it was pretty disconcerting because, you know, the people in there were pretty angry and I was, I probably shouldn't have been there, but I was. <laughs> and um, while I was there, I got my arm broken because we were not supposed to touch each other in those places. And this one girl, she grabbed my arm. I fell and I busted my arm and my arm, my bone was a compound fracture. So it was sticking out of my arm. You could see my bone sticking out of my mm-hmm. arm. And when I went to the hospital um, to have it set, the, because I was in juvenile hall, was what the counselor that took me in there, she said, that's the only reason why she thinks that they didn't sedate me. Because when I was in there, they reset my bone by pulling it without any anesthetic. Ooh. And so she said you could hear me scream throughout the entire hospital. <laughs> it was so painful. Yeah. So um, anyway, and then after that, I was so miserable there because I, I was feeling like I wasn't getting along with anybody because I was white and everybody else wasn't. And they would threaten to stab me with their fork or knife or whatever if I didn't give them what the best thing on my plate with every meal and it was just really difficult because you know I was it was like us and them kind of a thing it was really sad but Mm. anyway um, I tried to get out of there so I fake slit my wrist to get to a psychiatric hospital because people said that if it looked like you're trying to kill yourself you could get out of there I know this is so crazy but this is a survival thing for me so my mom I made sure my mom saw that my wrist was um, being you know, I was, I took a bobby pin and sharpened it on the ground and tore into my wrist. And so she reported me and then um, they put me in a, a psych ward. And then also while I was there, um, you know, I ended up counseling the people in the psych ward. I mean, there was 
it was so crazy, you guys. I broke my arm while I was there, so I didn't get to go in the pool. Anyway, there were so many crazy things. And then I, and then, you know, my parole officer told me that, you know, um, in those days, there was a lot of LSD going on. And she told me, she said, hey, when you get out of here, we should get together and take acid up in, in um, you know, Big Sur. You know, I mean, she was, it's just like, it was really confusing to me because here I was a kid. And these people that are supposed to be rehabilitating me were not and mm-hmm. taking advantage of me. And even later on that same hospital, um, the head psychiatrist ended up getting arrested for molesting the the inmates or the people inside the, the hospital. It was just really a crazy, crazy time. And then I went to I went to 17 different schools before I graduated high school. And because every single school I'd go to, um, they'd have, they, I'd go to a different community and they'd have other prerequisites. So I'd have to go to school the entire year. I wouldn't, I, I'd have to go to summer school. Sometimes I'd have to go to night school to make up the units for that particular, you know, area of, of uh, the, the communities I lived in, in, in California. And then, and then one of the biggest things that happened to me is I finally got home to my mom's and I would think I was about 16 and, um, I ended up, um, a cop, um, tried to kill me. Um, but he, what he ended up doing is he didn't try to kill me, but he tried, he wanted to exhaust me enough to rape me. And in those days, it was always the girl's fault, you know. And so he took me to this big fancy house in Hollywood Hills. His friends were supposed to be there and uh, any time now. But you had to take an elevator from the house down to the ground floor, wherever it was. And there was a great big, beautiful swimming pool and an outdoor kitchen. It was really impressive, you know. And I was just a kid. I, I was just actually, I think, I think I was only 17. And, um. And so um, he just kept telling me they were coming any time. And so I got, he says, let's go swimming. So I went in the pool and he started pulling me down under the water and pulling me down under the water. At first he was playful and pretty soon he started just doing it. And, and I just got exhausted. I took in a bunch of water. I was coughing. I was thought I was going to die because he kept doing it. But what, what he was doing is exhausting me so much. He pulled me out of the pool and he raped me. And I knew because he was a real famous cop in that community, nobody would would believe me. So I never told anybody, but it was one of my most traumatic events in my life. It was really horrible. I thought I was going to die that night. And so um, anyway, you know, just to give you an idea of the crazies I went through as a child. And then I remember um, I got married to my husband, which is a really gentle soul, but he doesn't um, you know, he doesn't really speak up for me or anything, but he's just really a gentle guy in comparison to what I was exposed to. Because even as a child, I remember um, being sexually taken advantage of by my uncle and um, a couple of times on dates. And while I was sleeping with at my my boyfriend's bro, uh, my boyfriend's friend's house, his friend took advantage of me while I was trying to sleep and I mean it was so insane the whole thing was around Mm. sexual molestation and um and so I ended up having my first baby and I was 
um, sexually molested by the doctor at my six weeks postpartum visit. And I'd already been to births at that time. I'd already been to um, home births and they were with, one of them was with the, um, oh gosh, um, a, a nurse at, um, in, in Laguna Beach, California. She was just an OB nurse and didn't really know much about what she was doing. This is 1970. And I was there to take pictures. The woman was a model and her boyfriend was as well. And they were surprise twins. So that was an interesting um, wow. experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but I already saw. And then my other friend um, up north ended up doing their births by themselves because their, um, their, her miscarriage was so traumatic that she said she's never going to go to a hospital again. So they, this was 73, I think. And um, so they knew what birth should be like because they were both very sacred. They were both amazing, kind of awestruck, you know. But I, but, and so 74 was the first time I had a baby. And um, so I ended up, um, you know, being sexually taken advantage of by the doctor. There was nobody in the room but him and I. And then, um, and then I told my husband, I said, if we have another baby, I'm definitely going to find someone that I could feel safe with. So I hired a woman and um, I had my baby, my second baby. That was seven hour birth and I was back labor and I didn't know how to correct it because in those days I didn't know much about anything about birth. But um, I had common sense. But anyway, I, I delivered within seven hours from the first contraction. But the second one I had in 45 minutes oh, from wow. the very first the baby out. And I mean, the moment I went into labor, I had the urge to push. I could feel the baby coming through my body. And I said, we got to go to the hospital now because I was going to the hospital in that particular event. And um, when I got there, I was I remember being in the hallway. And then in those days, they used to have a labor room, and then you deliver in the OR, the operating room. Mm-hmm. So you had to get on a gurney and get pushed over to the operating room. Well, right in the middle of the hallway, the doctor examined me, which felt, made me feel very exposed and very vulnerable. And she was angry, and she checked me, and she and she said, because my first labor was back labor, it was painful. But this one was not. It was like babies coming through and it's fast. And she said to me in the hallway, you can push. And I looked at her and I said, are you sure? Because it was such a piece of cake. It was shocking to me, Mm -hmm. you know, in comparison. And so she looked at me so angrily and she slapped me in my inner thigh and she pointed at me and said, don't you tell me my business. And so I kegled and I pushed. And I tore so bad. I tore my labia minor off on one side and she didn't even repair me properly or maybe she tried and it didn't work. And it took her like an hour. She was a surgeon and it took her an hour and a half or something, a long time Mm. to suture me up. And I felt every single stitch. And my husband at the time was working in a hospital and a pharmacy because of a job he got that was decent. And he even picked up the box, the, the container of xylocaine to see if it was expired because she kept giving me more and more xylocaine, but I couldn't, my body wasn't receiving it because I was so traumatized mm-hmm. by the event. You know, you've probably heard about that with cesareans and stuff, people feeling yes. all the, the, yeah, it's been it's just horrible. 
And so, you know, people go, oh, man, that is just so horrible. I can't believe that life, you know. But you know what I say? God used it as a stepping stone for me. Mm. You know, I could have chosen to let it embitter me. And it's not that I'm such a great person, believe me. I knew I'd met God in 1971. And I'd been through a lot of hell in my life already. I haven't told, that just gave me some of the highlights of my life. And I went through a lot of other stuff. But, you know, I just felt that, you know, I could either let this ruin me, embitter me, cause me more pain and anguish and difficulties, because I knew by then God's ways are the way in order to be an overcomer, you know? And so I thought, you know what, I could either let it embitter me or I could let it make me into someone that God would have me be because he knows, he knew all that stuff. I mean, I went through so many betrayals and rejection of my, from my mom. She's the only parent I really had. And I've had to really push through and learn what true forgiveness was and, mm-hmm. and how, it, you know, instead of allowing it to embitter me, um, I, I just really felt like God began to show me because I chose not to, you know, cause I struggled with it. I struggle with it at first and sometimes I still do, you know, and I, and I've got to remember who I am and the opportunity that I have by knowing God and how he can help me, you know, dissipate all that. Cause I just learned being vengeful is inappropriate and not going to do anything but hurt me. You know, um, I, in fact, yeah. I thought, you know, I was really upset at my husband when I was sexually molested by that first doctor but he didn't do anything about it because, you know, before I knew God, I had boyfriends that were like one in particular that was six four. If a guy would flirt with me, he would beat him up. <laughs> Not saying I wanted him to be that way. I'm just saying, you know. And so my husband didn't even say a word. He didn't even call the doctor. He didn't call him out on anything. And I was just like, that was probably hard on harder on me than becoming embittered by the doctor, you know. And so yeah. I had to really work through forgiveness toward my husband because I felt like. He's not even going to deal with that. I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, cause like I said, I had some boyfriends that were, you know, they would have probably, you know, hung the guy or something if they would have known that. But anyway, but God showed me that, that anytime that we choose his way, it's got to be a choice because defaulting to our flesh or to our soul which is our mind, will, and emotions, mm-hmm. is an actual default. That's what we don't. That's what we naturally do. We feed our soul. We go to our emotions. We go to our will. We go to our mind and think of all kinds of devious ways to get back at that person or, or build, for, you know, unforgiveness. And if you have someone in your life that's feeding that satanic principle to you. Move far, far, far away if you want to do things God's way and be free. Because he's caused us all to be free. He wants, he's given us the opportunity and the power and the ability to be overcomers. And so I've got to choose that. Because it hasn't changed my past to not forgive. You know, forgiveness hasn't changed my past, but I've learned to use it as a stepping stone in my future. Or for my yeah. future, you know, and, and like when I, you know, I realized that when I forgive, I set the prisoner free and then 
I discovered that that prisoner was me. Yep. And once you, once you get that, and I mean, you really get that, you realize what you're doing is destroying yourself by not forgiving. Yep. And so I realized this is a decision of my will. I have to choose to release that person from owing me anything or that situation yeah. or that event. And, and then pretty soon I find myself speaking blessing over that situation. Mm-hmm. God, I know that you're, you're willing, you know, you're working in me to will and to do of your good pleasure. And that I need to surrender my desire to hurt that person or be vengeful to you so that I could be free and that you inevitably can be glorified. And yes, so because otherwise we're what, being kept in bondage by those situations. Like they they're binding us to that trauma mindset and and the the want to harm somebody or you know retaliate or or destroy somebody's life because of what happened to you. And, and that just makes it so you can't move forward. And it's bound you to all that the enemy was, was destroying and he was succeeding. And when you let yourself be free of that and not be bound by those past experiences anymore, it is so freeing. It is. Yeah. So, so I don't believe in being vengeful and I don't believe in, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I, you know, I used to get mad at when I was really young and God, I'd get mad at God and say, what the heck, you know, because I didn't understand or know, you know, but the longer I, I'm 70 now, I've known the Lord for, well, since 71 and it's what years is 23. So what, 52 years, you know, and, um, and then God has shown me, you know, not only to be not to be vengeful and learn to forgive and choose to forgive because it's a choice. It's a yep. choice and it's a continuum because the enemy will bring it up to you and say that person or this situation or you should have, you know, and I, I often will turn around and bless the situation. I'll say, God, I just bless that person. I bless that, you know, because for one, lots of times they're so bound. If they've done something deliberately to hurt me, they just are not free. They don't know how to yep. be free. Yep. You know, exactly and, it. and that's what you did. You have to say, God, you know, bless those people. And that releases him to deal with them. Because if you hold on to resentment and vengefulness and bitterness and all those things, it binds it. it there's something that happens in the spiritual atmosphere that, that, that because of your holding on to that, it doesn't allow God to do it all he needs to do in their life. In some ways, it can hold things back. It can be harmful yep. to both you and the situation. So people that don't forgive don't see their unforgiveness often too. They'll say, oh no, I've forgiven them. But their behavior will be so evident that they don't. I'm not saying you have to be their best friend. Mm. But you, you, your behavior is evident that you know you're you're walking in unforgiveness and you can tell because it even changes people's countenance so it's just sad i don't want to be that way i don't want to be that way but but it's such a burden to carry with you to to Mm -hmm. keep holding on to all that unforgiveness it really weighs you down 
But yeah, and I've heard your testimony, and I realize that you you're learning these same principles, and I'm sure you've learned them. And we're all, or it's a continuum. It's not something you get there and it's over, you know. No, I haven't. <laughs> Was it Paul that, said? Not that yeah. I've arrived, but that I am continuing forward and no longer looking back. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, but it's important to realize too. I've got to choose it. Because it doesn't come naturally, our soul, we automatically default to. And that's why we need to surround ourselves with people that will bring us higher in our in our walk with God, you know, in our emotions, in our will, in our mind, in the enemy. Um, you know, he wants to, to affect our spirit in such a way that he, that God will not get the glory and you'll be continually in that jail, that prison of, yes. of unforgiveness and, and, you know, but... But God's just show me, you know, I need to put on faith even when I feel like, but, but God, what, but God, you know, Carol, you know, um, you've got to be in faith. You've got to hold on to what I say you need to walk in. And like I said, it's a choice. Walking in God has always got to be a choice because like I said, in our soul, we automatically default to, so I just got to put on faith and I got to put on forgiveness. So because of all that crazy, man, because of all that craziness, my work has become um, another thing. Another principle God has shown me is when I get really down and out and I walk um, in a, in a place of, you know, I'm just hurt because someone deliberately did something and said, you know, spoke lies about me or whatever. God shows me, you know, you need to choose forgiveness. And because of all that, I've learned to help others. You know, like, you know, as a midwife, you get all kinds of stuff. You, one of the things that we do a lot of is counseling. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when people get in the rut, a rut you know, they get super depressed or they find out their, their, um, their husband or their boyfriend has just been having an affair and here they're out ready to have their baby. And if you're a midwife of any years, you know that that seriously affects a woman. And so oh, yeah. as a classical holistic midwife, I can tell you, we have a lot of, um, what do you call it? Um, we're not, we're, we're not compartmentalizing everything. We, we carry a lot of hats yeah. and because of that, we end up being counselors and then, you know, paramedics and then we take on a lot of different roles. Yeah. We, yeah, we have, all, yeah. And we live in a culture that's anti midwife because they're wanting us to, you know, refer people to everybody. And I really feel like we're body workers. We're so many things. And so I really appreciate it when I get to encourage people, you know, and sometimes I'll just take a woman by herself to lunch or take her to the park with the kids or whatever, just to get, get with her and get, you know, down to the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. And, um, but one of the things I've really learned that is incredible, you know, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Right. but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so the weapon, if they're believers, you can give them all kinds of wonderful things they can do to overcome in um, their trauma. But, um, you know, you have to be super sensitive because everybody's in a different place and try to really read them on an intuitive level and really pray through it with people. And I just yes. get really, me really worried sometimes that midwives get so busy that they don't have enough time to spend with their women, mama babies, when they're really in need. And so I really try to set aside time 
when I intuit that a person needs it to, you know, be private with them, just me and them, not my students, not my assistant midwife or whatever. And, and, and get with them. And some of the things that I've learned that really helps overcome um, trauma is, is being just being with it and talking about it and getting it out, letting them give voice to it. And you, me just shut Mm -hmm. up and just ask open-ended questions, allowing her to process. And, uh, you know, sometimes she's really disturbed by the fact that she ended up with a cesarean or she didn't really like what happened at her birth. She might have, you know, um, somebody showed up that ruined her focus or the mother-in-law was calling in saying, you need to be in the hospital, you need to be in the hospital and end up having to go to the hospital because all this negativity is being spoken over her during her, you know, all these things that Mm -hmm. they, they've got to learn to overcome the fact that they got traumatized by having to go from the hospital to from the home to the hospital. You know, those are, those are significant things to many, many women. And just, you know, and then I really do try to deal with the forgiveness thing. Sometimes forgiving themselves is huge. Sometimes forgiving, you know, the mother-in-law or the mother or the sister or the midwife even, you know, and, kind of getting to that place where you could even speak it out loud. When I tell people words are containers, they're so powerful. And if we can give ourselves to speaking life, I tell people you're, you're holding life within your body. And if you can learn through that to speak life, you know, instead of the half glass full, try to think about the half, you know, I mean, instead of the glass, the glass half empty, try to think about the glass being half full. You know, and then and then thinking in terms of I want to forgive my situation. I want to forgive myself. And as you process that, being there with them. And, you know, one of the things that seems really kind of hokey, but really is really helpful is being grateful. Mm, oh, yes. Great Gratitude is a huge spiritual warfare weapon to tear down strongholds of unbelief, of unforgiveness, of of emotional depression just saying you know i mean the fact that i mean you know it's like you know you're you're holding your baby and being grateful for your baby that you know this time you didn't have problems with breastfeeding um you've got a roof over your head and it's thunder and lightning outside you've got you know i mean i try to bring to their attention positive things to help them get through it, you know, and not to deny the trauma or the situation, but to try to accomplish bringing themselves through it in their mind, their will, and their emotions. Again, it's our soul, you know, and God says, put on Christ, put on the armor of God, walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You just apply the principles that are so readily available to us through the word of God. And it's just phenomenal how it can get us through healing and not focusing so much on the trauma, but focusing on what is God going to accomplish as a result of this pain that I've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I try to focus more on healing and being grateful. And if they still have a hard time going through it, I do a rebozo ritual. You know, those of you that mm-hmm. understand rebozo, and um, I'll 
all, you know, put, I have, I'm an herbalist, so I put them, I have two, I've got a big soaking um, tub upstairs. It's an old ball cloth tub. And then I have a Japanese soaking tub in my, in my new bathroom that I have. And I, I'll fill them with, you know, I'll make a concoction of, you know, several gallons and maybe three gallons of herbs on my stove and I'll bring it over and pour it into the tub, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, strained while they're in it. I'll, put sacred lighting around, you know, if it's in the evening, I do like essential oils or whatever I feel. And then, and I'll put little, make little signs that say you are loved, you are accepted, depending on what it is that she is dealing with, you know, um, the fact that she was disappointed because she didn't get her home birth or she, you know, she's even still healing from her previous cesarean. Sometimes I'll have to do it while they're pregnant with Mm. the next baby because they've got so much trauma that they've carried with them. Like, you know, this one woman once, it was terrible. This one, this midwife in Seattle really was stressed and she needed to get to another birth. So she broke her water, prolapsed the cord. She had to have an emergency cesarean. And like this woman sat, you know, I've sat on my couch with women a lot as they talk to me about their, their trauma, their sexual trauma, their birth trauma, or their, you know, um, relationship traumas, whatever traumas. And I've sat and wept with them. That's another thing, being with women, being with women, sitting with women, crying with women and allowing, you know, you to be a woman to woman, not midwife to woman, but woman to woman and relating to her, not lording over her and making her think you're something special and above her and everything, but just being a woman with her and holding that space for her you know, and so I'll put them in the tub and I'll, you know, let them be in there for a time. I want them to, you know, um, just process and just enjoy, you know, I'll, I'll do, you know, healing herbs, Epsom salt, you know, um, you know, the healing herbs, I might put clay in the water. I might put baking soda, the good stuff, not the commercial stuff. I'll put, you know, um, you know, bentonite, which is a volcanic clay and, and, you know, I'll just, and then I'll rub their backs and I'll sing to them sometimes and I'll pour the herbal water over their shoulders and over their, and they just start to cry because they've never experienced this kind of love before. Mm. They'll say stuff like, oh, I've never been loved like this by another woman before, you know, and it's just so, it's so healing and it brings us into this union as a, as a, a team you know, either before she has her baby or after that, that she realizes that this is, we don't, we don't, that's one of the things that really bothers me about America is that we don't understand or embrace ritual so much. And I'm not talking Mm about booga booga ritual. I'm talking about sacred, godly, loving, kind, touchy ritual. And so after she's in that tub for a good, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour, depending on where, how she's enjoying it, where she's feeling it, you know, she gets out and then I take her upstairs and I have another woman with me and we usually use, I think it's seven herbozos I put underneath her. And, and then while I said, listen, if something comes out, um, you know, during this time that you need to speak about or talk about or cry about, please do it. And so I give their, I give them a really amazing back rub and arm rub and tummy rub and leg rub and foot rub and head massage, you know, and then after that, we do a rebozo closure. And if she's still pregnant, obviously, we don't put it, we put it around her hips. 
we don't put it around her tummy, mm-hmm. but we, we go all the way from her top of her head, all the way down to her feet and back up again. And that usually brings a lot of stuff to the surface. A lot of stuff. They'll start to weep. They'll start saying, but if I only could have done this, or this person should have done this, or if I feel like a failure, I feel like, you know, maybe I can't love my baby like I should because I was separate. You know, there's all kinds of things that come up because she feels this incredible place of safety. Yeah. You know, and safety is one thing we need to really help, you know, ritualize or even bring to the forefront of our relationship with our mama babies because, you know, um, it's, it's really an important place of the soul, you know, and of the spirit that is, um, is really important. So to connect on a level where there's no facade, there's no nothing in between that you're able to, to really connect spiritually with them and allow Mm -hmm. that open space to, to communicate mm-hmm. on what what's going on or or what's coming up, mm-hmm. and then be able to help her let those things go, and talk to her about the importance yeah, of our words and building each other up and and being life giving, affirming words instead of tearing down because the power of life and death is in the tongue, and in our thoughts, and be able to. I mean, she's only going to believe the words that come out of your mouth if she's been able to connect with you in that manner. Mm-hmm true it's true and then and another thing sometimes what i'll do depending on the woman not, not every woman likes this but i'll do um um what do you call it um cupping on her back oh yeah yeah and some women some women really like it and some women feel like it's like symbolic of taking away any of the toxins that they're feeling they've been subjected to emotionally, physically, spiritually, because you're actually mm-hmm. sucking skin up, you know, and it, and it actually it does remove toxins, but, but it's all part of that ritual we do after the, the hot bath, the warm bath, you know, and, and um, sometimes for that particular woman, it's the perfect the perfect thing mm-hmm. you know and sometimes they'll say I just feel like you know my anger my my bitterness my hurt my my disappointment my you know all just all kinds of things come up and I feel like so many women can go on so much easier and so many women bottle everything up inside they keep everything you know underneath and people say to them oh you know you should be glad you you had a your baby's alive and you're you're you know everything just forget about you know the fact that you have an emergency cesarean or forget about the fact that you you know were disappointed about this that or the other and it's no it's a big deal for them you know Mm -hmm. you need to learn to base with women that's what I'm saying some of the midwives that are so overwhelmingly um busy they can't, they don't have, they, it's hard to um, express or even receive an intuitive sense of where this woman needs to go. And then women go, well, I don't have time for that. Midwives say to me, I don't have time for that. Well, then you maybe are too busy because well, to me, I, this is, we're free. Well, and, and a thought that came up in my mind while you were talking about that as well is, is this speaks to 
yes, I, I love the words of wisdom you have for midwives. I think that's absolutely true. But this also speaks to all of us just as women and and being friends and kind to each other. I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. each of us could think of different friends that we have that have gone through different things. And how much have we put into the effort of setting and just being with them and just being available for them to be raw and to be able to connect on that level where they know that you're a safe space that they can they can talk and work through you know these things and and be able to heal from it i mean there is i mean you know mm -hmm. we're the busiest is the busiest time you know everybody all the time you you ask how things are going, oh just so busy you know we're so busy that are we even connecting with each other on a level that provides that that safety and peace and and just um opportunity to be able to really connect with each other. Yep. So true. I uh this just ways that I've learned to overcome, you know, and just engaging with the principles that we know that are real and true and right and learning to overcome and be an overcomer, you know. Yeah. Well, what are, um, I know, you know, we just got done talking about sitting with women and giving in the space for, for them to be able to be open, you know, with you and be able to connect on a, on a, on a level that is not just the, the our normal, you know, physical level or conversation, but more on a spiritual level and being able to really, you know, open up that space. Is there anything particular you can think of that maybe, um, I, I know a lot of stuff comes just with, with time you learn as you go and, and, and you see ways to kind of change your interactions and everything, any advice, like even, you know, for me as a, as a newer midwife, I know my experiences really change how I am with women I mean that it just because I I see things a little bit differently and because the Lord really has done so much in my life and just showed me just a, a different way to be able to let things go and, and be free from the bondage of those past experiences and be able to truly you know understand what love is and be able to walk in a peaceful mindset but when I'm with women, I see things a little bit differently. So is there any advice that you might give other um, midwives or just women in general of, of ways to kind of uh, ap approach those vulnerable situations? Well, one thing I really learned, which a huge principle for me, as you know, when you first become a midwife, uh, the spirit of fear likes to hover around a lot because you're not feeling really kind of in your element yet until you get out there and start building confidence and the possibilities of what you can do. And but one of the things that God showed me early on in my in my spiritual midwifery walk was that He's the midwife, and I'm His handmaiden, and I try and remember. Um, before every prenatal day and definitely on my way to every birth to really host his presence and say, Abba, if there's anything that's separating you from hearing me or me from hearing you, if there's any sin in my life that's causing me to have a blockage between us, 
as I go to this sacred space called birth today or tonight or this morning, please bring it to my mind and I try to cleanse my hands and purify my heart on the way to every birth. And I'm telling you, the kind of things that God will download to me are not in textbooks. And in my mm-hmm. early days, I used to argue with God and say, God, I don't, um, you know, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't know it was God at the time. I'd, I'd hear something and I'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not doing that. And then I'd realize later it didn't make any sense, but it worked because it was God telling me to do it, you know. And so I stopped arguing with that voice, you know, and just to try to develop an acuity to understanding that's God's voice. I better listen, you know, and like I said, it ain't in the textbooks, honey. Not always. Sometimes it is, but not always. And that doesn't mean you just do helter skelter, anything that comes to your head. You do want to develop a rapport and a relationship with the father that you can know that God, you know, I really think that that's you, you know, I'm on my way. Sometimes I'll have a dream two nights before the baby will happen and God will show me something and it'll be a funny dream or it'll actually be an authentic, this is what's going on, you know, and even the doctors at the hospitals have said to me, how do you know that? And I say, well, not going to believe this. (laughs) What are you talking about? I say, I was told and they go, no, Carol, no, (laughs) but they know I'm, I'm a little different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what they say about me, but they also have a lot of respect for me. And, uh, you know, they think that I know what I'm doing, but the thing of it is, is that, you know, uh, it's, it's awesome to serve God, no matter what you do. It's incredible to serve him. And it's, you know, he's an ever present help in time of need. All we have to do is say, God, I want relationship with you. I want to do whatever you want me to do and say whatever you want me to say. I want to apply your principles. I want people to see you as the light of the world in this dark and dreadful world that we're in right now. And he will use us. And so affirming God as the midwife, you're his handmaiden and whatever. And you know what? He doesn't like to be embarrassed. So he comes through for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's crazy. I mean, I had a baby that died uh, two Decembers ago. And got, the baby was without oxygen for over an hour. The doctors didn't have a great prognosis. The baby came back to life and the baby's developmentally fine. So, wow. you know, I mean, it was, yeah, God showed up and you wouldn't believe how I did spiritual warfare for that baby. In fact, mm, it was I really bet. funny because there was a doctor on the phone listening to the whole thing. I didn't even ah. realize it, but anyway, yeah, it was really, it was really well, something. But it was, it was a very show up every time. Experience. Really, it's the truth. It's yeah. the truth. And yeah, and, and so it's, it's. Uh, I mean, I can tell you, I'm sure all the midwives out there that have been doing it for more than 20 minutes can really tell you, and even the ones that have been doing it for 20 minutes, how they know there was supernatural intervention. Yep. I mean, people that don't even believe in God will go, man, there was angels or something out there. You know what I mean? Something that happened. So, yep. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah, birth is an incredible atmosphere for God to show himself strong. And don't be afraid of it, but be willing to come under his authority. And it's amazing how things can change, you know. Yeah. And so we just do the best we can, and then God takes care of the rest, you know. Just try to be submissive and, you know, I mean. And we're, walk we're in love, in like he told us to. 
Yeah, and we're all in process. None of us have arrived. We're all yep. still learning. We're all still the lo- the longer I learn, the longer I live, the more I realize, man, I don't know anything. God is really showing up, and He often will really surprise me with just amazing ways in which He does show up and lets us know He's there and He loves us. Mm-hmm. And we're working. We're working sacred work. I don't care if you believe in God or not. What we're doing is, you know, helping usher baby's earth side from a, you know, and it's very much like death. I mean, there's been several, quite a few people have asked me to help them die because energetically it's the same energy, you yeah. know, transitioning from one atmosphere to another, you know. And so, yeah, it's sacred work that we do, you know. Like I remember oftentimes I'll take my shoes off and the baby, people just say, Carol's taking her shoes off. That means the baby's coming. You know, but I feel like we're on, we're on sacred ground. Yeah. You know, and, um, and we're vessels. We're to be, we're to be used by God as vessels, just like we act as a type of Holy Spirit, you know, a comforter, encourager. We come alongside, we, you know, um, just all these things that types and symbols, you know, that would be probably the, the most um, significant um, analogy or, you know, that, that we can use. And it's like, it's really quite amazing. You know, I know yeah. that this is abominable to some people, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit is the woman's side of God. When you look at the scripture and it says that, you know, he, he created us both male and female, just mm-hmm. like he, he is. You know, and I know people don't like that idea, but I don't know. I, I feel like the attributes of the Holy Spirit are so feminine that it's hard to believe that could be wrong. And I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of it, but I do think that there's a significant piece there. Yeah, that's neat to think about. Well, and I love the mm-hmm. the, the vessel part that you were talking about, because I say that often. I'm like, hey, I, I am a willing vessel. And I, I, I bring that up a lot of times when people get worked up about, well, are we going to have this many do right now? Are we going to get to this person or that person? You know, and, and people, birth workers can sometimes get worked up, you know, about where am I going to be? And am I going to make it in time? Or are these two going to go at the same time? And I often say, you know, I am a willing vessel. As long as I am willing to go wherever the Lord will have me to, then I need to be okay with wherever I happen to be because I'll be where I'm supposed to be. As long as I am staying that willing vessel and, and, you know, remembering, I love, I love the point that you're saying that he is the midwife. You're just his hands here. (laughs) You're, you're just the one proceeding through. One of his names is deliverer. And everybody laughs oh, because you we know what the context of that is. But you know what? I'm applying it to this too. Sure. You know, and he was the original midwife. Who do you think midwife Eve? Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's true. So, I mean, really? Yeah. It's so, very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so, I, I, I think... really believe that he refers to himself as, you know, the deliverer. And so I know that it applies to what I do. That's for sure. Because I don't deliver anything. People go, oh, you deliver babies. No, I don't. The mom and God delivers the baby. I just get to be there. <laughs> right. You just this get, get, I feel that way after I leave every birth, just like, I'm just, you know, the women will say, I'm so thankful. You know, I couldn't have done it without you. I'm like, yes, you could have, but yeah, I'm just true. like, 
Yeah, exactly. That's what I usually like. No, you could have, but thank you for allowing me to be in this sacred space with you. I know it's pretty, it's pretty amazing what we, we get to do. It absolutely and, uh, is. But that brings up something that um we were talking about before we actually hit record. Um, just talking about we uh, have the uh, opportunity to be to witness these miracles and be in these sacred spaces, but at the same time, there are also areas that could be very traumatic for us as the providers. That there there are things that happen that normal people won't ever see. <laughs> There are, are different situations that, yeah, that just like, wow, you know, um, so dealing with that, I don't know if maybe you want to address that a little bit, because I know we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Well, one of the things that comes to mind about this, I'm not sure if this is going to hit on what you're talking about, but I'll never forget. I had a student that was a precious student. that was a missionary. And um, she was having her first baby with me and she couldn't complete at home. I can't remember what all came down, but we had to go to the hospital and she got an epidural. Get all the rest of her babies at home with me without a problem. But this first one was kind of a little sinker and took a long time and it took a while. And so um, she got an epidural and then the doctor cut an episiotomy and then he took both of his hands and ripped down on both sides of her perineum. Oh. Her mom, which was a nurse and used to do births, was watching me and she says, Carol, you you turned as white as a sheet. What happened? And I said to him, why did you do that? And he looked at me with an arrogant smirk and said, she can't feel it. Oh. And I wanted to say, bend over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could not be, that was very traumatic for me because I loved this woman dearly to this day. She's one of my most favorite people. And she was just a super kind, precious missionary. And um, that last, you know, just before a woman has a baby, many, many of my, my mama babies, I love, I fall in love with them. They end up being like a daughter to me you know? Mm -hmm. And that was like tearing my heart out, seeing that happen, you know, and she didn't, she didn't know it. I told her later on what happened and I reported it to a nurse and she said, you should have reported it to the administration of the hospital. And I, you know, in those days I wasn't a licensed midwife and so I didn't have much clout and I don't even now, even as a licensed midwife, but for 25 years I worked unlicensed, but it's really taught me a lot in the state. You can do that without, if you don't advertise yourself a midwife and if you don't accept money for what you do for being, being the midwife. Oh. So well, um, I had a, anyway. sorry, go ahead. Well, I had ahead. a situation that happened similar to that too. I, I, I was her doula though at the time and we were in the hospital and I oh. almost punched the doctor in the face and oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I came home just crying and throwing up. Because yeah. it was so traumatic. And yep. it what hurt me worse is she didn't even know. She didn't mm-hmm. even and and she was bragging about how great her birth was later. And I couldn't tell her because yeah, I didn't yeah. want to give her that trauma. Um and it it was it was awful. And I had to just keep it in besides, you know, sharing my husband was 
helpful, but it was, it was rough. It, it was, I, even now thinking about it makes me want to throw up because it yeah. was so awful. It was like watching somebody be raped. It, it was like, yep. I'm seeing this horrible yep. trauma happen before me and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, I had another time where, um, this was something, um, we went into the hospital cause she had a retained placenta and she was bleeding and I didn't, I wasn't able to remove it myself. Uh, cause I, it was stuck and I felt like there was no cleavage behind the placenta. I tried to. So I called 911, took her into the hospital. I was in the ER with her and the doctor went in for her. They gave her scopolamine so she would forget. I didn't know they did that anymore, but they gave her scopolamine. Well, and it ended up the doctor, I counted, he went into her body 14 times and ripped out pieces of placenta. I thought to myself, somebody needs to teach him because I know how to remove placenta. I mean, I know the proper way to remove it. And I've seen doctors do that. They go inside the woman over and over and over again. I'm thinking somebody needs to teach them, you know, but anyway, so he went into her body 14 times. Well, she writhed in pain and flipped out and just, you know, she was with scopolamine, but nevertheless, her body remembered. And her husband, as we left the ER, he looked at me and goes, man, you can tell men were made to work on cars. And I said, you can say that again. I was crying because she was, she was someone I helped. I think she had 10 babies and I helped her, I think with eight of them. And okay. So scopolamine is supposed to make you forget, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that woman had one more baby and she could not have it vaginally. Oh, we didn't tell her what she went through, but her muscle memory remembered, I'm sure. And she could not lead at home so she ended up with a cesarean with her last 10th baby Mm. so you know you guys birth is such a vulnerable place and there's been so much damage done to women and babies that our infant and maternal mortality rate is pathetic in this country and one of the things I believe with all my heart that needs to change is not only do we need to start treating the whole person in labor and delivery and and, and uh, pregnancy, you know, you know, addressing her spirit, her soul, her mind, will, and her emotions, and her body, not just her body, but that if something happens at the birth and the baby is removed from the mother. 15 feet, 10 feet or whatever, the cord is cut immediately. The baby doesn't get its stem cells. It doesn't get all of its blood. And then the mom starts to hemorrhage. And you wonder why. There's that primitive disconnect that happens. And the mom's going, where is my baby? Instinctively, she starts to bleed out. And the baby's over there crying. I have to remind the mom, talk to your baby because it keeps her grounded. It keeps the baby knowing mom is not far away because the baby will often continue to go into distress. There's, I want to start a movement in the midwifery circle and in a consciousness way um, that babies cannot be removed from its mother at the birth. It's somehow the mom needs to touch the baby. The baby needs to touch the mom. And personally, I don't believe the cord needs to be cut until long after the placenta is born because we do not know when the stem cells stop transferring. Yep. Not only does the baby need its blood 
but it needs its stem cells. And yep. we are really reaping the consequences of this when you look at the maternal and fetal mortality rates in this country. And I know, I believe that's probably one of the reasons because they don't get that disconnect that happens. And so I believe there's even, I've looked, looked into this, there's even in other cultures, I don't know if they're in America, but where the baby can be actually resuscitated right next to the mom. They build a little compartment or co-sleeper, co, you know, but that's not being pushed. And we've got the women, the midwives, no matter what they say, it doesn't work as much as when the parents, the family speak up and say, I don't want my baby to be traumatized. I don't want the cord to be cut right after birth. I don't want the baby to be removed from my, my wife. If you need to work on the baby, it needs to be right here. And they need to bring the stuff to the bedside instead of removing the baby and taking it away from the mother. And I bet any money that maternal and, and fetal outcomes will change even in that way. And other things that we've neglected to host as a people, 70% of the revenue in hospitals is birth. It's a highly political and monetary um, form of, (laughs) anyway, it's just, you know, they're monetarily, you know, being told that home birth is not safe. It's been proven. We've got the statistics that we're, we're safe. If you've got a, a practitioner that knows their stuff, you know, we're safe at home as long as a woman is mentally and physically, you know, in a place of safety herself. And so there's just too many things that are going on in this world right now to not start looking at things from a gentler, more holistic viewpoint and changing our ways because um, the foundation of birth is far reaching. It's foundations are everything. And I remember at Knapsack years ago, you know, um, that Dr. Stewart had a a guy that was a, I don't know if he was a detective or something that he worked in the, in the prisons. And he said that he really appreciated the gentle nature of home birth and midwives because he thought that, you know, when people are born in violence, they end up reaping consequences of that, you know? And the mindset of the moms, that's why we have to really be gentle with our care. That's why we really have to do our best to change the culture that we live in. And, you know, uh, to do our best to keep from traumatizing babies and mamas. You know, sometimes it happens, whatever you do, you know. You know, I'll never forget, I had this one woman once, she was a yogini. She was amazing. She did everything right. She ate right. She thought right. She did right. And the baby ended up with meconium aspiration. Well, there's nothing you can do to prevent that, you know, and the baby that got it in utero and it, I, you know, I had to send it out and it was a real stormy night and they had to get it, come get, cause we have, we're remote enough that we have to bring, send people to Seattle if there's baby really in trouble. So we had to transfer the baby to the hospital and then they came and got it with a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Coast Guard helicopter. Cause the weather was so bad. They couldn't get it with the regular hospital that came from Seattle but but what I'm saying is that you know there's not much you can do to avoid some things but for the most part if we act preventatively that should be midwifery that should be one of our pillars that as a classical midwife we need to prevent 
trauma. We need to prevent complications. We need to do everything we can to prevent, prevent, prevent. That should be one of our pillars, you know, and I feel like it's, we've lost sight of it because midwifery has become so medicalized that it's caused a lot of us to lose sight of the important things of birth and what we're there for to host, you know, uh, the birth of an eternal being into the, into the earth side, into the world, you know, and, and, and make, and, and create a safe space for the mom so they can make that transition in the most possible, you know, positive way possible. Yeah. And then when, if, you know, like that mama you were just talking about, if something does happen, then we've also got the tools to help her work through that. Um, well, and then in, in the postpartum, having those conversations still, and she's already has that really good relationship with you and trusts you really well. So then, you know, this thing that happened that wasn't preventable, there was nothing you could do about and seemed very traumatic at the time. And, you know, she went through all of that. Well, then you're able to help her um, process it and let it go. Because otherwise it'll yeah. stick with her. Yeah. That's so true. I don't yeah, think we realize and, and, how much effect we have on mama and baby, like both. And even the words we say, even the postures we hold. So important. Like she's yes. sitting on and we're standing over her. Get yep. on her level. You know, you're speaking with more than just, um, you know, your words. You know, I just tell people when you take her blood pressure. Have her put her hand on your waist and you hold her close to your body. So not only do you have permission to touch her body, but she's touching yours. So mm -hmm. there's this mutual exchange woman to woman. I think it's so important the way we hold ourselves and the way we touch women, you know, and to being intuitive, you know, about our touch. And, but, you know, like I said, sometimes we get so, we're so busy trying to pay back our schooling or whatever, that we're taking on more people than we should, you know, or we're greedy for more money. I don't know what the changes are that's going on with everybody. We're all different, you know, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying that maybe we should slow down and start thinking about the way in which we're taking care of mama babies, you know, and the way we're taking care of ourselves, but not, and, and for it not to be about making money or, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I've just been observing so many things that have changed in the last almost 50 years because what we were, were women helping women have sane births in the beginning. We were about helping them get through their trauma. I mean, I became a midwife as a lot of it is a result of being traumatized. And you heard my story, you know, I mean, Ina May became a midwife as a result of her trauma. All the old school midwives. I know we're not old school anymore. And I know we're in 2023. I've heard that a lot and I get it. But we can't forget who we are and why we're here and how to host um, that place. Because what I don't want to be a frustrated obstetrician. I want to be a midwife. I want to be a God-sanctified midwife. There you, go. you know, and giving of ourself is ultimate. And not having selfish motives is another piece, you know. So, I mean, yeah. That's one of the reasons I can't work in birth centers. I'm not saying you can't be kind and amazing midwife in a birth center. But I'm not a birth center kind of midwife. 
Yeah, I'm a, a home birth midwife. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm one-to-one. I'm really big on, um, you know, I, you know, sometimes I need to have backup, you know, if I need to go and do something important I didn't foresee, but for the most part, I try to be here for, for people that hire me, you know, and, um, you know, just try to do what we can to prevent complications or trauma or whatever. Try to be sensitive and pray, pray, God, please help me, you know, have the wisdom to know what's best for this mama baby, for this family, for our community, for the world. And we want to make a difference. We want midwives to shine. We want midwives to, because when we, when we mess up and it's something we shouldn't have, you know, we made a bad choice in messing up, you know, it affects the entire midwifery world. Yeah, there's a big ripple effect. Yeah. And so, I mean, deliberately, I mean, you can make mistakes or something can happen that's unforeseeable and it wasn't deliberate. But I'm talking about when you deliberately do something that's wrong, you know, it's like, really, you know, like midwives going to birth drunk or, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, those things happen. They've happened, you know. And I mean, midwives have troubles too, for sure. But if you feel like you can't maintain without alcoholism or whatever, you know, it's... It's again, putting people before yourself, like you talked about several different Mm -hmm. times, just, you know, putting, putting others first and really, you know, walking out, like you said, putting on um, love and, and all of our actions coming out from that. And yeah, sure. If, if we're struggling with something as well, then there's a place for taking time off and making sure and taking care of that. And maybe, maybe you need to midwife the midwife right now. You know, maybe somebody's needing, needing somebody to come in and be with them. Um, again, that's why building community, I feel like is so important in the midwifery world and mm-hmm. as women completely, you know, building, building community and not this tearing down of one another and, and judgmental so much of one another, but instead you know, really loving each other like we're supposed to and, you know, building each other up and comforting uh, one another and just, you know, uh, helping encourage each other to, to be the, the, that person we are pursuing to be, you know, to, to really walk into that. And, and I think that's a, that's something to point out that, you know, we're not superhuman, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we do have yeah. issues as well. Yeah. Um, and that's when you need, yeah. you know, that community around you. It's true. It's yeah. I, I think in, in women being kind, midwives being kind to one another, you know, that's another thing I want to see come back. I mean, there's been times when I've been really impatient with my students and I really regret it. And I, I pray, prayed and asked God to be in, you know, just like I said, sometimes they, I'll think, oh my goodness, you know, you need to step up and not, you know, cower in this particular situation or whatever, you know, and, and I get frustrated sometimes and I really have to say, God, please help me with this particular person or whatever to be patient and kind and long suffering. And there's, I got to admit, there's been times when I've, been impatient and said, you know, I've been frustrated and, 
and that could be traumatic to the student, you know, and I, yeah. and I've got to really, really, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, super innocent homeschoolers that have never tra- experienced any difficulties in life, you know, trying to be students with me. And I think, I don't know if they're good <laughs> You know, I, I, I warn them, I say, you know, sweetheart, I don't know. Let's see if this works out, you know, sometimes, you know, cause I'm really direct. I'm, I don't try to be hurtful, but I'm sure there's times when I come on so direct, it hurts people's feelings. And I don't like that. So, you know, I don't want to be a perpetrator of trauma myself. So, I mean, we're all working in ourselves and our character and everything. If we're willing to be, we're willing to look at that part of us to help us to see, you know, what is it that you could be perpetrating that causes people grief, you know, or, you know, and then be quick to, to apologize, you know, yeah. quick to and say, to God, adjust. you know, what's that? I said to, or to adjust and change that habit or whatever it is that we were, exactly. we're doing once it comes to, once the Lord points it out to us. Okay. Thank you for pointing that yeah. out. Now I can, I can, I can fix that. That's obviously not loving. Let me, let me adjust that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I try to apologize after and say, hey, really, I'm sorry, you know, if I'm aware of it, but, you know, it's just becoming aware of it is sometimes hard for me, but I think it's part of it is I've been so, had cut through so much that sometimes it's surprising to me how women or people could be affected by, you know, my words or the things in which I say, so I'm working on that. You know, I'm working on that in my own character that God will help me to understand and to see and to to process my own grief so that I am not inappropriate with others. Yeah. And, and well, like you said earlier, we're all at different stages at different points in our life. And mm-hmm. he's working on each one of us on different aspects of our character and just just remembering that and thinking about that when we're you know interacting with other people that I I don't know where they're at I don't know what the Lord's working with them on right now um Mm -hmm. so you know just to to respond in with grace and love and and forgiveness and you know Mm -hmm. again comfort each other edify one another you know build each other up those are the thoughts that keep coming to my mind is just to, to renew our minds and think about that when, when we get frustrated or when something happens and, and our flesh starts to come out and be, you know, angry or whatever, like pause, stop and just remember like, Hey, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what the Lord's working with them on. And so I'm going to respond with grace and I'm going to respond in love and kindness instead. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and 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 sharing your your journey and and great perspective that you have for us and and I know it's going to um, just uh, really speak to some listeners out there and I just uh, I really I really thank you I, th- I thank the Lord that uh, He brought you to mind and we were able to connect and and work out this time together. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, Shalom.